0: Hebrews 9. Turn with me to Hebrews 9. This is the first book in the general epistles. And I actually want you to grab the Bible in front of you, because let me just kind of see uh, some nodding heads, or or just stay still if you haven't. Um, Anybody ever read Hebrews? Yeah, I mean, goodness. If you've read Hebrews, then you won't forget it, because... You probably have a lot of stuff in there that you're still scratching your head on. There's a lot of heaviness in Hebrews. In particular, there's a lot of Old Testament imagery. I mean, he brings the whole locomotive in from the Old Testament. If, you're, if you've never read the Old Testament, then you're by and large lost in Hebrews. Because all the images he's drumming up, all of these bursting metaphors that are on every single page of Hebrews is grounded deeply in the Old Testament, which is where we have begun our look at atonement, and it is where we will continue to look at this idea of atonement. Now, as you're there now to... Uh, Hebrews 9, I just want to, in way of reminder, remind you that atonement simply is being at one with God. That's the simplest at one meant. And I want to start with this quote from uh, a guy that lived in the late 300s A.D., John Chrysostom. And he says this, By the cross, we know... The gravity of sin, the greatness of God's love toward us. Jesus, would you teach us the gravity of sin so that we know what you did, its meaning, its purpose, its application to us today? We pray. ...in your name, amen. That Jesus died is a fact. That a Jewish man in the first century... ...did miracles in the name of Yahweh... ...named Jesus, whose name is Joshua... ...or deliverer in Hebrew... ...that he lived, that he died... ...is a fact. That he resurrected... ...is a fact for us Christians by faith... ...because no one's found his body... The tomb was empty. There's no evidence in the contrary. And so, that He died for us... ...is the meaning of His atonement for us. His beloved. And so, what we've been doing over the past few weeks... ...is just simply asking... ...how do we begin to understand this thing of atonement? What has, in fact, Christ done for us... ...on the cross coming out of the tomb, and then providing this meal for us too. Which, again, always points for us to His blood, to the altar. And I can't really think of any better place for us to go this morning than Hebrews 9. Notice these words here as found by this writer who we don't even know who wrote it. So Hebrews is one of these question marks for us. Uh, Some people say Paul, some people say Apollo, some people say all kinds of other people. At the end of the day, as one of the early church fathers said, only God knows, and that's enough. And so Hebrews is the beginning of the general epistles, and notice these words. Now even, this is 9-1, the first covenant had regulations for worship, and an earthly place... ...of holiness. In other words, an earthly space to be practiced. So two things. One, there were regulations in how we worshipped. You could say liturgy. And there was a place to worship. For a tent was prepared... ...the first section in which were... ...the lampstand, the table, and the bread of presents... It is called the Holy Place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim. ...of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He says, look, behind curtain number one, behind curtain number two... ...only once a year, only the high priest in the line of Aaron... ...and there at the altar, which was a lid on the Ark of the Covenant... ...were two cherubim, we spoke about this briefly last week... ...whose wings would have almost touched in the center. Now, we tracked down the cherubim, right? And where we find them initially is in guarding the garden. We're kicked out because of our disobedience... ...and they are guarding the garden. In particular, we're told, the tree of life. Maybe even symbolically eternal life... And only the high priest... ...and only as he literally... ...he brings a bowl of blood... ...that's the way he did it... ...on the day of atonement. There was no sacrifice being made in the temple. It had already been made outside the gate. You see the symbolism even there? Jesus, where did he die? Outside the gate of Jerusalem. And then he would come in and sprinkle blood on the lid... ...as he looked really in fear of these two cherubim, they would tie something around his feet so that he would jingle, ching, 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 as he walked and as he did his ministry because no one could go in there. If he passes out, they got to drag him out. If he dies, which there were some to die, Nadab and Abihu were killed before the Lord as they offered strange fire before him. In other words, they didn't do it by the regulations of worship set forth by God. They would drag him out. ...because no one could go in. Well, as you may know... ...Jesus, when He died on the cross... ...on that Friday... ...do you remember what happened to that curtain... ...that kept us from God's presence? It was rent in two. (laughs) Now, you know, we could get all technical and stuff... ...you can look this up later. That curtain was... ...you couldn't rip it by hand. It was super thick... Many say about like this thick or so of fabric. So not even, remember the power team? you remember those guys? They would take a phone book, you know, ah! and then rip it in half. Glory to God! And everybody's like, yeah! You know, doing this number. Even somebody like that wouldn't have been able to break this curtain. And yet it comes straight in half and opens up and exposes the holy of holies. His, I mean, I don't know. Is anybody with me? He brings in the blood, sprinkles it here, and gets out because of the danger of being in the direct presence, which is guarded by these cherubim. Today, no curtain. Today, no cherubim. That ark of the covenant. ...was lost and not even Indiana Jones can find it. You know why? Because no need for guarding against eternal life. The one and only Jesus, the Messiah, the prophesied one... ...God in the flesh. God the Son from all eternity taking on a tent as the writer of Hebrews says, which is to say a body, not made with hands, dies in our place. And the writer of Hebrews will tell us that he brings his own blood to God the Father as God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. This is heavy. This is good. (laughs) And there's no need now for any guardian against eternal life. For now it is freely given to those that hope in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He says here, these preparations, verse 6, having thus been made, the priests go regularly... Into the first section, performing their ritual duties only once a year without taking blood. And then he says, notice at the end there at 10, until the time of Reformation. Now that's not the Protestant Reformation, okay? Even though we're Protestants and we appreciate that whole thing, that's not what he's talking about, all right? It's beyond that Reformation. It's the ground level Reformation. It's the reformation of the whole world. Not even just of an individual, but rather the whole world is reformed into the image of Christ. The scripture says something crazy in Romans. It says, even nature groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Nature has been cursed as we were under the curse and it is no more. Things are being reversed. He has won the victory. (laughs) It doesn't matter what it looks like out there. He has won the victory and inaugurated a new community, a new covenant by which we drink the blood of the cup and we say to you, This is the blood of the new covenant. The new testament of God. Notice 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest. (laughs) First of all, just back up. But when Christ appeared. When Messiah appeared. Do you know how many people died? The writer of Hebrews will say later in eleven. How many people died in faith of that Messiah and now we behold him? They died before he came. We believe after he has come. And Jesus will specifically tell his disciples: blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Hey, that's us! Hey, that's me! I believe! Jesus, or the Christ appeared, the Messiah appeared as a high priest. So he has the right, and get this, he's the high priest of good things that have come. Notice his language, that have come, not that will come. That's how it used to be. Now it's Here. The kingdom is here. It's breaking in. It's what we talked about a couple of weeks back. The kingdom is breaking in, and we are the ones that have to say no. It is rushing upon the world. It won't be stopped, for he is coming again a second time. <laughs> this time, though, he won't be a lamb slaughtered, but rather the lion of Judah. But John will tell us. We saw last week. John will tell us, I see the lamb and the lion at the same time. (laughs) Then through the greater and more perfect tent, verse 11, not made with hands, that is, not of the creation, in other words, his body, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, ...the living God. I don't even think I have to add to that. Is everybody with me on that? I I think I would mess it up... ...if I tried to explain it further. Therefore, He is the mediator... ...of a new covenant. He's the one mediator. Why is He the one mediator... ...between God... And man, because he is both at one time, in one person, not confused, not confounded, in one person, God and man. Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus, personal name, Christ, divine title. He, being God, can satisfy God's wrath. He, being man, can reach us. For it was, Paul says, by man that sin entered the world. Notice his language is not by woman. Even though Eve was first to eat, it was through the line of Adam that sin came, Paul says, in Romans 5. But he also says this, just as through one man, Adam, sin and death came into the world, so too by one man, the last Adam comes life eternal for all so that the gift is better than the curse. The curse has been lifted. You're not under the curse. It's not the devil's fault. It's your fault if you say no today. If you reject today. If you grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice the language. You know, in, in, in inductive Bible study, inductive just simply means we're trying to follow sort of a scientific way of doing things. Which is really, you know, apropos in our 21st century world, right? Everybody wants to do this. ...give me some scientific data, you know. Okay, all right. Well, we have to look at language then. And what we do is take the language that is there... ...not the language that is not there. Not the language we wish that was there. And we make sure and collect all of it... ...and let that lead us to a conclusion... ...rather than start with a conclusion... ...and filter it down into the language... That's basic inductive Bible study in 30 seconds. And when we look at the language, we have a variety of language for atonement. It's not just one-sided. Most people just think, oh yeah, Christ died in our place. Yes, he did. But that's not the only language we get. We also get this reversal language. That whatever... Adam did wrong. Christ did right. Whatever Moses wasn't able to complete and not able to enter the promised land, Christ was able to complete through His perfect submission to His Father and able to gain access not only for Himself to the promised land, but for all those that would be in His train. All those that would be in His wake. you know, like a boat cutting through the water, it leaves a wake in its path. This broader reaching current. And that is what the kingdom looks like. He cut a new path. In other words, as priest... I would have to be still sacrificing and bringing blood and so on and so forth. Not anymore. Once and for all, Jesus, the sacrifice of all. In our place. (laughs) When we follow the language of atonement, it's not monolithic. It's not one-sided. It's a variety of things. And interestingly, as I've thought about atonement, I've really learned a lot, though, over the past few weeks just about Christ's atonement and the language we do have. You I mean, used to, like in theology, you know, uh, you have theories of the atonement, which sounds all scientific, you know. It's like, how does the death of a Jewish man in the first century have anything to do with us efficaciously for our salvation? That's the question. Well, what is it? And people have come up with these various theories, such as the moral influence theory, which is to say he did something to lay down his life that really impacts everybody. It's something that people would share on Facebook. It's something that somebody would like on Instagram and be impacted by, like a nice quote, maybe that changes your life. It's morally influencing what he's done. Or maybe the ransom theory, as it's called. Where he ransoms us, much like Hosea does, to Gomer. That's not Gomer Powell, by the way. For those of you confused and not read Hosea. That's a lady. What about the Christus Victor theory? of the, Which is that Christ did something For our victory in the spiritual realm that we could have never done ourselves. In other words, it doesn't look like victory, physically speaking, but what he did was to, as another writer in the New Testament says, disarm the enemy. He disarmed them, almost like a Trojan horse secret plan. He slips in through humility, not even on the radar of the enemy. And then all of a sudden, the attack begins from within instead of from without. That's why I love the the imagery that C.S. Lewis gives at the end of one of his chapters in Mere Christianity. He says, you could say that the rightful king has landed, but he landed in disguise. And he started... ...a revolution from within... ...rather than from without. Guess what, if you're in this room today... ...you're part of the resistance. He says, this is... ...Lewis actually says, he goes... ...this is why we go to church every week... ...is to listen in to the general... ...to get the message for the week... ...of where we need to resist against the world. Where we need to sprinkle more salt... ...be more light expose the darkness, push back the enemy. That's the kind of power that is being offered at a place like Harvest Point. Praise God. And all of the churches that are sprinkled about in our region and around the world today, whether they're meeting on a dirt floor in the mountains of Mexico, in the poorest places of Haiti, or in a facility right here in Madison. What is happening, if we could see with the right eye, is the darkness is being pushed back. And you're a part of that. The enemy wants to cloud us. He wants to bring fog to our life so that we can't see what's really happening. But I'm telling you what's really happening. The resistance is on the move. And we may only have a water gun against hell's flames but we've got the captain of our salvation behind us. And it's kind of like that scene (laughs) in Lord of the Rings where it's impossible to win. And yet, victory comes. Victory is assured. And so we charge out of this place with that kind of faith of knowing that it is impossible for us to lose. I don't know if that's encouraging for anybody else but me, but let me just say, that's good right there. It is good because of what He has done. What about the satisfaction theory, which is to say God's wrath is upon the world and upon humans because of our sin? Which is true. And Jesus satisfies The wrath of God through his sacrifice. What about the governmental theory, which has the idea that his wrath against sin remains intact, and yet he creates a new government, a new kingdom to operate within, and all those that sort of come under the ark of salvation will survive the flood of judgment. In other words, take shelter in the church. For the church is the body of Christ. The mystical body of Christ. Jesus, our head. Or, say, the scapegoat theory, which was the idea that the priest would place his hands on this goat and the sins of the people be communicated to it, and it bear the sins of the people, they would usher it out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Which was a nice image, object lesson, if you will, all of these are, of what Jesus is doing. You say, okay, well, which one's more likely? The theory, all of them. The language we get for sin, for salvation, is varied. Haven't you read the Bible? We're dead in our trespasses. We're separated from God. We have cheated on God. There's a lot of language for sin. It's not just one sided, this thing is multidimensional. If you were to ask me to define Jessica for you, it wouldn't just be from one angle. I mean, of course, she's beautiful. Of course, she's kind and nice. But you don't know the depth of my lady like I do. Her hurts and pains and her joys in her life. The things that make us happy together. That kind of stuff. you got to look at Jessica from all these angles. And what we do wrong sometimes in looking at people is we only see them on the road driving poorly And I have a hard time seeing the other side of them because I can't look past my own stupidity and pride and arrogance. God help me. I want to see the whole picture of salvation. I don't want to be one-sided. I want the whole thing. I want to not be able to understand, which I don't, all of what God has done for us. It's so much, it's difficult to communicate. And yet, communicate we must. And what I want to say today is very simply, there are some models, if you will, rather than theories, that can communicate some things to us. You know what a model car is, right? No one would ever think that in a model car you would be able to actually drive it, right? It's okay. I'm not electrocuted, I don't think. Um, I used to have these model cars like a Ferrari, right? We'd put them together, you know, it'd be awesome. I mean, I always dreamed of having a Ferrari or something, you know. and And... You never really thought you could actually get in a model car and drive it around and do your thing, park it in your garage. You know, but it certainly, notice this, watch this, was a copy of the real thing. And, and you, anybody that knows model stuff, the closer it is, I mean, when you turn it over and there's exhaust pipes going the right direction and, and scaled to the right, I mean, that's where somebody says, wow, you got a really good model there. I want to just drop down with me. To verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. What rites? The way we worship. Notice above there, he's talking about the shedding of blood. Without it, there's no forgiveness of sins. The washing of water. Notice verse 19. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself, which was the law, and all the people. But the heavenly things, back down in 23, themselves with better sacrifices... Than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, notice this, which are copies of the true things, models, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Nor was it to offer repeatedly, as the high priest enters. The holy places every year with the blood not of his own. For then he who would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. By the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once. And after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Man, I hope that you are one of the ones who are eagerly waiting for Jesus and His full salvation to come. It's here. The scripture is very clear on some of the language. It says those who have been saved. It then says those who are being saved and shall be saved. We're just looking at the evidence. And what does the evidence point to? That God has provided not some one-sided, monolithic, boring salvation but rather the most dynamic thing any religion has ever dared to speak about the divine. All in Jesus Christ. He is the great conundrum of all of the ages. No one can figure Him out. No one can understand the depths of how this God who demands obedience gets down on His own ...hands and feet and washes the nasty feet of men. This is a God that is different than any other God ever spoken about in human history. There's something, something that rings of the truth when we hear about Jesus. Other religions, they have bits and pieces of the truth. Little bitty light are shining through parts of all of them but the light source Himself is Jesus. They only resemble what can be only the truth of reality. Do you see what's happening here in a service of worship? The candle, the table, the two sides from which both the Old Testament and the New Testament The one altar, the one cross, the water symbolized here, the bread, the wine. These are metaphors for a reality. They're copies. And just as in the Old Testament, they were told to perform these rituals to be a copy, a metaphor of something that was a reality. So too, we participate in that. That's why we gather. That's why we hear the word proclaimed and then respond to that word because it's more than just the eye can see. We are literally a metaphor, a copy of what is eternal and real. The realest real. The really real. We'll stop there. That's why I get excited to worship every single Sunday. It's not a chore for me. No. You say, well, duh, you're one of those ones we heard about earlier that beware of the teachers, you know, because they get. J-. That's all right. I also am a worshiper. Yes. Thank you, That's why part of the service, I too turn to the cross with you and raise my hands and voice in praise. Of the one who is the head, not me, who is the head of the body, the church, Jesus. There's much more that could be said, but I want to end with this. And we may dive into some more of those models next time. The scripture writer says here, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And each of these are one of the cardinal virtues of our faith. He says in Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God in faith and worship. In Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast fast the public confession of our hope, faith, hope. And then finally, in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we can help others in love. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Because faith one day will be realized. Hope one day will not need to exist anymore, for we will be standing in the truth, living in love Himself, with a glorified body as He is. But love never fails. Love never ends, because God is love. Are you living... In love? If not, let us draw near. Let us consider. Don't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Let us love. By the cross, we know the gravity of sin and the greatness of God's love toward us. Therefore, repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen.